Section four of the Underground Railroad Part five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad Part five by William Still section four portraits and sketches thomas garrett part one the recent death of thomas garrett called forth from the press as well as from abolitionists and personal friends such universal expressions of respect for his labors as a philanthropist and especially as an unswerving friend of the underground railroad that we need only reproduce selections therefrom in order to commemorate his noble deeds in these pages from the wilmington daily commercial published by jenkins and atkinson men fully inspired with the spirit of impartial freedom we copy the following notice which is regarded by his relatives and intimate anti-slavery friends as a faithful portraiture of his character and labors thomas garrett who died full of years and honor this morning at the ripe age of eighty-one was a man of no common character he was an abolitionist from his youth up and though the grand old cause numbered amongst its supporters poets sages and statesmen it had no more faithful worker in its ranks than thomas garrett he has been suffering for several years from a disease of the bladder which frequently caused him most acute anguish and several times threatened his life the severe pain attending the disease and the frequent surgical operations it rendered necessary undermined his naturally strong constitution so that when he was prostrated by his last illness grave fears were entertained of a fatal result he continued in the possession of his faculties to the last and frequently expressed his entire willingness to die yesterday he was found to be sinking very rapidly just before midnight last night he commenced to speak and some of those in attendance went close to his bedside he was evidently in some pain and said it is all peace 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 but no rest this side of the river he then breathed calmly on for some time about half an hour later one of those in attendance ceased to hear his breathing and bending over him found that his soul had fled he retained a good deal of his strength through his illness and was able to get up from his bed every day with the assistance of one person he will be buried in the friend's graveyard corner of fourth and west streets on saturday next at three o'clock p m and in accordance with the written memorandum of an agreement made by him a year ago with them the colored people will bear him to his grave they having solicited of him that honor he was born of quaker parents in upper darby delaware county pennsylvania on the twenty first of august seventeen eighty nine on a farm still in the possession of the family his father though a farmer had been a scythe and edge tool maker and thomas learned of him the trade and his knowledge of it afterwards proved of the utmost advantage to him he grew up and married at darby 
his wife being Sarah Sharpless, and in 1820 they came to Wilmington to live, bringing with them several children, most of whom still live here. Some years after his arrival here, his wife died, and in course of time he again married, his second wife being Rachel Mendenhall, who died in April 1868, beloved and regretted by all who knew her. His business career was one of vicissitude, but generally and ultimately successful, for he made the whole of the comfortable competence of which he died possessed, after he was sixty years of age. While in the beginning of his business career, as an iron merchant in this city, a wealthy rival house attempted to crush him by reducing prices of iron to cost. But Mr. Garrett, nothing dismayed, employed another person to attend his store, put on his leather apron, took to his anvil, and in the prosecution of his trade, as an edge-tool maker, prepared to support himself as long as this ruinous rivalry was kept up. Thus in the sweat of the brow of one of the heroes and philanthropists of this age was laid the foundation of one of the most extensive business houses that our city now boasts. His competitor saw that no amount of rivalry could crush a man thus self-supporting, and gave up the effort. Of course, Thomas Garrett is best known for his labors in behalf of the abolition of slavery, and is a practical and effective worker for emancipation, long before the nation commenced the work of liberation and justice. Born a Quaker, he held with simple trust the faith of the society that God moves and inspires men to do the work he requires of their hands, and throughout his life he never wavered in his conviction that his father had called him to work in the cause to which he devoted himself. His attention was first directed to the iniquity of slavery, while he was a young man of twenty-four or twenty-five. He returned one day to his father's house, after a brief absence, and found the family dismayed and indignant at the kidnapping of a colored woman in their employ. Thomas immediately resolved to follow the kidnappers, and so started in pursuit. Some peculiarity about the track made by their wagon enabled him to trace them with ease, and he followed them by a devious course from Darby to a place near the Navy Yard in Philadelphia, and then by inquiries, etc., tracked them to Kensington, where he found them, and, we believe, secured the woman's release. During this ride he afterwards assured his friends he felt the iniquity and abomination of the whole system of slavery borne in upon his mind so strongly as to fairly appall him, and he seemed to hear a voice within him assuring him that his work in life must be to help and defend this persecuted race. From this time forward he never failed to assist any fugitive from slavery on the way to freedom and of course after his removal to this city his opportunities for this were greatly increased and in course of time his house became known as one of the refuges for fugitives the sentiment of this community was at that time bitterly averse to any word or effort against slavery and mr garrett had but half a dozen friends who stood by him nearly all others looked at him with suspicion or positive aversion and his house was constantly under the surveillance of the police, who then, sad to say, were always on the watch for any fugitives from bondage. Thomas was not disheartened or dismayed by the lack of popular sympathy or approval. He believed the Lord was on his side, 
and cared nothing for the adverse opinion of men many and interesting stories are told of the men and women he helped away some of them full of pathos and some decidedly amusing he told the latter which related to his ingenious contrivances for assisting fugitives to escape the police with much pleasure in his later years we would repeat many of them but this is not the time or place the necessity of avoiding the police was the only thing however which ever forced him into any secrecy in his operations and in all other respects he was without concealment and without compromise in his opposition to slavery he was a man of unusual personal bravery and of powerful physique and did not present an encouraging object for the bullying intimidation by which the pro-slavery men of that day generally overawed their opponents he seems to have scarcely known what fear was and though irate slaveholders often called on him to learn the whereabouts of their slaves he met them placidly never denied having helped the fugitives on their way positively refused to give them any information and when they flourished pistols or bowie knives to enforce their demands he calmly pushed the weapons aside and told them that none but cowards resorted to such means to carry their ends he continued his labors thus for years helping all who came to him and making no concealment of his readiness to do so his firmness and courage slowly won others first to admire and then to assist him and the little band of faithful workers of which he was chief gradually enlarged and included in its number men of all ranks and differing creeds and singular as it may seem even numbering some ardent democrats in its ranks he has in conversation with the present writer and others frequently acknowledged the valuable services of two roman catholics of irish birth still living in this city who were ever faithful to him and will now be amongst those who most earnestly mourn his decease his efforts of course brought him much persecution and annoyance but never culminated in anything really serious until about the year eighteen forty six or forty seven he then met at newcastle a man woman and six children from down on the eastern shore of maryland the man was free the woman had been a slave and while in slavery had had by her husband two children she was then set free and afterwards had four children the whole party ran away they traveled several days and finally reached middletown late at night where they were taken in fed and cared for by john hunn a wealthy quaker there they were watched however by some persons in that section who followed them arrested them and sent them to newcastle to jail the sheriff and his daughter were anti-slavery people and wrote to mr garrett to come over he went over had an interview found from their statement that four of the party were undoubtedly free and returned to the city on the following day he and u s senator wales went over and had the party taken before judge booth on a writ of habeas corpus judge booth decided that there was no evidence on which to hold them that in the absence of evidence the presumption was always in favor of freedom and discharged them mr garrett then said here is this woman with a babe at her breast the child suffering from a white swelling on its leg is there any impropriety in my getting a carriage and helping them over to wilmington judge booth responded certainly not mr garrett then hired the carriage but gave the driver distinctly to understand that he only paid for the woman 
and the young children, the rest might walk. They all got in, however, and finally escaped. Of course, the two children born in slavery amongst the rest. Six weeks afterwards, the slaveholders followed them, and incited, it is said, by the Cochrans and James A. Bayard, commenced a suit against Mr. Garrett, claiming all the fugitives as slaves. Mr. Garrett's friends claimed that the jury was packed to secure an adverse verdict. The trial came on before Chief Justice Taney and Judge Hall in the May term, 1848, of the U.S. Court, sitting at Newcastle, Bayard representing the prosecutors, and Wales the defendant. There were four trials in all, lasting three days. We have not room here for the details of the trial, but the juries awarded even heavier damages than the plaintiffs claimed, and the judgment swept away every dollar of his property. When the trials were concluded, Mr. Garrett arose, the court being adjourned, made a speech of an hour to the large crowd in the courtroom, in the course of which he declared his intention to redouble his exertions, so help him God. His bold assertion was greeted with mingled cheers and hisses, and at the conclusion of his speech, one of the jurors who had convicted him strode across the benches, grasped his hand, and begged his forgiveness. End of section four. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.